This is Wastoids. This is Wastoids. This is Wastoids. This is Wastoids. Hey, this is Strange Gear, a Wastoids presentation. I'm Jason Woodbury, and every two weeks, I sit down with an artist to talk about a unique tool in their Sonic Toolkit. My guest today is Oliver Ackerman of A Place to Bury Strangers and Death by Audio, a world-renowned effects company he runs from New York. Ahead of the release of a new remix EP, Hologram, Destroyed and Disassembled, he stopped by to discuss one of his wildest devices, the Particle Wave Refracturer, which makes sounds like the ones you're hearing right now. You'll hear more samples interspersed throughout our talk. You're tuned into Wastoids. This is Strange Gear. How are how are you doing today? Let's start with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm good. I just ran over um, and brought a bunch of enclosures to this guy who prints the, some pedal enclosures for us. Um, yeah, kind of. That's about all I did. Then raced over to do this. I ate a banana. Okay. And then poured myself a cup of coffee. I'm good to go. Uh, that's that's awesome. So are things are <laughs> things pretty busy on the Death by Audio front? Yeah, insane. It's it's you know everything keeps on getting busier and busier and busier. And uh, when people offer to do things, I kind of can't say no. So sure. I get myself wrapped up in all sorts of ridiculous projects and stuff. But that's a bit of the fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, so you recently launched your own label, Dead Strange, which put out put yeah. out the hologram EP and the forthcoming hologram destroyed and disassembled. Uh, so it, it sounds like you're a busy dude already. What inspired you to add to that by by launching your own label? I thought all of a sudden I was going to have a lot of free time. <laughs> Wrong. Wrong. <laughs> it seemed like that for like a few weeks. Um, and then uh, I thought that, you know, we could kind of um, sort of like help some of these other artists out. I know that, you know, we were thinking about you know, going, starting a label just to release our own stuff. And then it sort of seemed like if we were going to be going through all these steps to make these things happen, that we kind of bring a lot of friends and other artists that we like along with us. And so it made sense. Oh, that's awesome. You, so you're putting out this, this remix album, obviously a place to bury strangers has had uh, remixes before, you know, people like Mets and slow dive, uh, Sure, but how, I mean, how do you how do you like the the process of basically hearing your songs reimagined, pulled apart, and and reconstituted? Is it kind of a thrill for you? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, especially you know to have like a bunch of artists that you admire, like have you know even listen to your tracks and then they rework it. It's like such an honor to really have that happen. And when you hear someone do something really cool and creative, it's almost like you're kind of get to perform with these people in a way, you know, or collaborate on a song, I guess I should say. And so um, anytime I get to do a remix, I know I sort of treat it that way, you know, take what they have and then sort of like do totally mess it up and destroy it and turn it into another song. And I think other people realize that that's the way to go. And um, yeah, it's incredible. I, I read that occasionally when you would DJ, you would run records through 
effects and and really sort of pull them apart and and sort of like you said make them into something something else when you're working with remixers do you tend to give them complete creative control or or do you sort of have parameters or guidelines that you ask people to adhere to i give them complete creative control there's you know i think that i don't know as an artist like i kind of you know there's been many times where you collaborate with someone and it's really healthy and it's really cool but there's been i think more times than that where you feel kind of like someone is like interfering with your creative process and so i just never really wanted to kind of do that you know if someone wants to reach out i'm more than happy to help or throw them some other tracks or something um but uh i think you know people it's a hard enough thing to kind of be like an artist that puts yourself out there and sort of, you know, there's so much effort and work that goes into it that, you know, everything that you do really kind of becomes, you know, uh, a, it's gotta be a personal love project of yours or, you know, I don't know. I don't know why you would do it. So, right, um, right. Uh, yeah, I don't want to interfere with that kind of thing. You know, they're, they're probably doing what they love to do it with it. And, um, and that's, you know, what I want to hear, someone else's creative outlet. You started building effects pedals, I think, 20 years ago this year, if if I have, if my dates are correct. Something like that. Yeah, I think so. That's like... Yeah, how, how different does, is, you know, how different does the boutique guitar gear scene look two decades later than it did back then? I mean, pretty, it's pretty big transformation right yeah it's huge i mean at that time like um you know there wasn't all this information to be able to do this stuff on the internet and so most of you know everything that i kind of taught myself was really from books and from kind of like just pulling things apart and so that kind of opened up the real world for people to be able to do this and i think um you know i even like we were you know, one of those pe- companies that I think even influenced a lot of people to even start doing this. Right. You know, like we went to NAM maybe our first time like three or four years ago. It's this giant like music conference, insanity, like where people trade show basically um, for gear. And there was like lots of pedal manufacturers that I had no idea were like, oh man, I started because of you. And, um, you know, I think it's because we sort of did things that were like so dumb. <laughs> and, and so many of them that it was like you know it's like those bands like punk rock or something in a way you see like oh wow like i could write a song with three chords you know we had pedals that were like one transistor or no transistors and and you know when that kind of word got around on the street and i would gladly tell anyone too um that you know you know you'd see us just in our you know underwear or whatever drilling out boxes you know, with a drill and then like spray painting them and baking them in an oven and (laughs) solder together. You just saw like, oh, this is something that, you know, I could potentially do. And I think that, um, you know, that's really cool and awesome that that's, you know, possibility. Anybody could be a pedal maker if they want to and get their ideas out there. Yeah, that's really inspiring for sure. And I can see why it inspired other people. What did it take for you to get Death by Audio off the ground in the beginning because i'm sure you didn't start and feel free to correct me if i'm wrong i'm sure you didn't start it with the idea like this is going to be a thriving business 20 years from now you know i'm sure it was a little bit more experimental but how did it start to take shape when you realized 
maybe this is something that I could do for my living, you know? Yeah, I don't know. You know, it's like I always had like making music and being a musician as the like the first main focus and goal. And so it's like Death by Audio is always a little bit sort of, you know, kind of an afterthought in a way. I mean, I love building electronics and it was really fun getting into it. And, you know, it's still just like so much fun doing it. But, you know, it was always just for kind of the love of everything that was going on. And if any time I was like, oh, we need to make the business better, it was just to uh, like support the people who were working with me on these kind of projects. And so, you know, that was very freeing and liberating. And, um, you know, we kind of even having made like what I was saying before, things that were like dumb, we made so many pedals that, you know, were just pure noise and real insanity and just kind of ridiculous as terms of things you would sell. And other people, if they never, you know, made pedals like that and they weren't ever kind of successful, maybe they wouldn't have like kind of the confidence to sort of do some of that stuff. And so, you know, we just, everything sort of thing that we would make, you know, sometimes they either more popular or less popular. And you just, you know, we've had the luxury to just make things that I thought was awesome, you know? And so we just kind of focused on that. Um, I was doing this thing even for a while where I would just make any custom pedal for people that they wanted. And so I made a lot of like weird kind of funky things. And, you know, that seemed like a good thing sort of for the community. I know as a musician, like I tried to commission some people to make some pedals years and years ago and never got them. And so, uh, you know, I felt like that could be a cool thing. You know, artists have an idea that they want to have to use and something to happen and they can't make that happen. So if I could facilitate that, that would be good. Well, that's awesome. Uh, So I think what we're going to talk about a little bit now is a a very specific piece of gear, um, the particle wave refracturer. Uh, Yeah. So, so where... Where did this where did this come from and what does it do? Okay, so it's uh, I've been kind of doing this thing for a while um where I've been like uh as being like a touring musician, you know, you have to bring like a lot of cases and stuff around with you. Right. And so um what I started doing is like building these synthesizers in the cases that we were already going to be bringing places. You know, so it's like, you know, if you got like a box, which has your merch in it, that could also, when you dump your merch on the ground, you could also use that box as like a synthesizer that you could play during the show. Right. (laughs) So uh, this is just like the latest one of those. And it's, um, it's like, uh, it's got like an oscillator in it. You can patch in and out with your cables. And then it also has this like computer program multi-effect that I made, which has a lot of different channels, a lot of different crazy, insane sounds. I can even reprogram it at any time if I want to. So if you have like a specific idea that you want to use for a song or something, you could use that. And then that way I can kind of like change and morph these things as you know, you go and fly someplace. So it's really like a a very flat panel. And then it's got a bunch of big knobs that you can turn on it and things you can patch in. So as you're playing guitar, you can just run over and plug your guitar into this or plug this into your amp and kind of just go wild. 
Now, does the whole band utilize the the particle wave refractor? Uh, do you run other other you know the other members through, or is it mostly you on stage messing with this? Everybody runs through it. It's all at different times. It's like you don't even always get the perfect opportunity to do this, but it's like um, I don't know. I I feel like there's always so many moments in a show which are so chaotic and so crazy and so many things break and and don't work and you kind of are sort of just you know scrambling like it's the end of the world uh (laughs) show and um you know you just want to have these options and so sometimes yeah like sandra will grab it and use it and run her snare drum through it or like a piezo or something and hit a cymbal or you know, John will plug his bass into it and he can just run it to his, his, his amp or, or into my amp. And sometimes we'll switch amps or, you know, there's sort of no, um, I don't know. There's no exact thing that's going to happen. And I think that that even makes for an interesting show. It's like when we used to live at death by audio, when we had the show space, there was like, um, I don't know. You just, it was, I would just walk into show after show after show day after day. And, you know, very often, you know, even, you know, whatever you would just, you'd go in there for 10 minutes and then you'd like, you know, go back and then do some other things or hang out with a buddy, then go see the next band for 10 minutes and then go out. And I feel like it was like it dawned on me at one point where like, you know, there's only so many bands who like really will captivate your attention for more than 10 minutes. And so, uh, you know, you'll, you'll be like, oh, this is really cool and whatever. And then you'll want to go to the bar or something and get a drink. And so, uh, you know, it's just good to be able to like transform your band into like six different bands. So do I do I get the sense that that there's a lot of like uh chance at work meaning you're going to plug in and you're going to start turning knobs do you always necessarily know what sound is going to be uh generated No you don't and and that is one of the things where um you know the design comes really helpful in or you know yeah. in these things where like you want to make this thing so that it always sounds good. So it's like a bit of a, a crazy kind of challenge. Like sometimes you don't want that in something that you design. Sometimes you want things to, you know, be able to sort of like explore as many avenues as you possibly can. So this is like, yeah, cause it's, it's usually played in that sort of moment of desperation. Huh where like, you're like, maybe my guitar doesn't work. What the hell is going on here? You know? And then, so you'll plug into this and you'll be like, okay, this is working, you know, but it, it is my guitar that doesn't work or whatever. (laughs) And then, then go to some like really crazy, wild, interesting place, you know, which is, you know, it has to be kind of like different than sort of the things that you were already doing. It has to be able to adapt to stuff like often the knobs, or like multi-controlling, like sort of the tempo of the thing, as well as like, you know, how that's kind of getting blurred or what is sort of going on. And then, 
you know, also you want it to be where when you turn a knob that it does something that's very interesting. So all of the kind of like effects and stuff that are in there, you know, sort of make you excited to kind of turn those knobs. Right. And you're willing to sort of like just start that process live on stage because it's going to result in something that's cool sounding, even if you don't even if you don't necessarily know what cool sound is about to come out. Yeah, for sure. And then it's got like really huge knobs. It's like almost theatrical, you know, and how it's almost like silly how kind of big <laughs> it is. The size of like, I don't know, maybe it's like 12 rack spaces or something. Is it that big? It's, or something like, maybe it's 10 rack spaces or something. And, uh, you know, it's got, the, I, I found some bigger knobs since then, but I thought it was the biggest knobs you could find. <laughs> you know, um, so, the, you know, they're like two inch knobs or two and a half inch knobs and, you know, and that kind of stuff. So it's it's definitely, um, you know, it's it's like fun to jump to that kind of situation, you know. And I think that you even see that with everything that you'll use. Like, I don't know, you want to be able to like, you know, we have kind of big clunky hands and sometimes it stinks to be like fiddling with a bunch of little stuff. So. Uh, and especially at a show too, like you don't, or at one of our shows, you don't know what's up, what's down. There's lots of smoke. <laughs> there's some lasers shooting you in the eye. Right. You know, you have like, uh, you know, something you can find in in the rubble. Uh, that's the a, that's amazing. That's amazing. does it happen for you that you end up producing a sound that is just like really awesome, really interesting. And, and then you have to sort of reverse engineer how you actually created the sound. I mean, does that happen often enough? Uh, you know, I used to try to do that stuff and I used to try to like, be like, Oh man, you know, how did I record this song on the album, this thing? I used to even travel with like, you know, rack gear and stuff like that and have it be all like meticulously programmed and be switching these MIDI channels and all this crap. And then, you know, same thing with even drum programming. We used to use like all these samples, you know, when it was working with drum triggers to try to do this stuff. And then eventually you realize that that stuff just sucks the life out of everything that you're trying to do. Right. You know, and it's so much more interesting to just be like, oh, I need to create tremolo, but I can't, you know, I don't have a tremolo pedal. So, like, how can I kind of, you know, like, uh, you know, embody that feeling or that emotion of tremolo without a tremolo pedal? Or, you know, if sometimes you're playing a show and, you know, your reverb pedal breaks. And so then you just have to readapt to... Uh, you know, play stuff where it sounds like you have reverb or delay or if it's really important to a song. And um, and I think that stuff, I don't know, just kind of comes off so much better. 
That's just work with the elements that you have and turn it into what you need. I mean, it's, uh, you know, you want to work with what you have and you want to kind of put on a crazy show. And it's even the same way where like, you know, I was talking about before about programming those kind of like MIDI controllers and these things, like you realize at some point that, you know, it's more exciting and fun to see some band who is like going for it and hanging on for dear life. It's even more fun as a performer too, to be, you know, scrambling to make this moment happen and give it like all of your all than it is to be like perfectly recreating some record you recorded five years ago or something. Sure. Sure. Like there's nothing better than going to see a band and, and having, having the songs feel like new songs in a, in a way, you know? Uh, totally. And it's what keeps live music alive, you know, really it's like, it, it makes it still have a point. Yeah. Really. I mean, otherwise I guess, you know, you're, it is kind of fun to just be like hanging out with your friends, dancing to a record and getting drunk. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's awesome to see a really cool performance. I think. I really, I appreciate Great. you taking the time. Um, yeah. it's all, it's a lot of fun talking with you and I've liked the band for a very, very long time now. And, uh, and, Awesome. It's, it's, so much, it's so cool that uh that we're talking about this 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 thing. Right on. Cool. Thanks so much, Jason. All right, thanks. Have a good one. Have a good one, dude. Cool man, you Bye. too. Awesome. Bye. That's Oliver Ackerman of A Place to Bury Strangers and Death by Audio. Head over to Wastoids.com right now to check out some photos of the particle wave refractor. And you can visit DeathByAudio.com to check out Oliver's insane pedals. Hologram, Destroyed and Disassembled is available on RSD Black Friday at fine record shops all over the country. All right, I'm going to get out of here, but not before we check the one eight seven seven Wasteoids answering machine to see if any strange calls have come through. Do you freak out and need to get in touch? If so, give us a ring. That's one eight seven seven nine two seven eight six four three seven. Yeah, I know there's an extra number. Just dial it. It's more fun that way. Um, hi, my name is Ryan. I'm from New Jersey. I do freak out sometimes when my mother moves my chest pieces to different positions. She feels that the queen goes on the left of the king, and I feel as if the queen goes on the right of the king. 
and she will just not accept my bohemian lifestyle and it causes me to freak out sometimes. Uh, I am looking to seek help and I would appreciate any help I can get because I, I don't know how to manage my test pieces. Thank you very much. I love you. Bye. 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 Bohemian lifestyle. I love it. That's going to do it for this installment of Voice Toys. This episode featured recordings by Oliver Ackerman, Chris Parsons, Nick Reinhardt, and A Place to Bury Strangers. Back with more soon. Wastoids out. <laughs>